G'day, dear listeners. We are again going on the Tanakh Tour 2016 this November, and we want you to come with us, don't we, Jason? We do. We want you to put your deposit down for a seat now, and you can experience Torah Pearls, the show, for nearly two weeks. It's going to be amazing, isn't it, Tovia? You know, when we're on the tour, we're actually going to be studying Scripture and walking through Scripture. So not just are we going to be going through the weekly portion together as we had gone through the entire cycle and discuss so many fascinating topics, but imagine not just studying Isaiah, but imagine walking in the palaces that Isaiah walked in. We'll be doing that in the city of David. We'll be doing that. We're, we're not just city of David. We're going to be going far north. We're going to be going down south. We're going to be spending some very special time in Jerusalem. We want you to come with us. Places are filling up, but you can Go to truthtoyou.org. Click on Tanakh Tour of Israel 2016 on the top menu there. That'll take you to the, the link where you can secure your place on the bus with us this November. That's important because whenever I'm not in the north or south or east, I'm usually in the west. Okay, that didn't work. I just came out. may be around the world and thank you for joining us once again on truthtoyou.org that's truth number two letter you.org joining me from indonesia is the author of let's get biblical why doesn't judaism accept the christian messiah volumes one and two you can get a copy from his website outreach judaism that's outreachjudaism.org welcome back to the program rabbi tobia singer great to be here great to be back going through the book of deuteronomy Thank you. Torah Pills Season 2, and we are in Re'e. Is that right, Re'e? That's correct. That's right. All right. Well, it kicks off from uh, Deuteronomy Chapter 11. Oh, before, I even, before we even begin, I just want to say thank you to Jason. Now, Jason's not with us today. Because, he wasn't able to make it. Because I'm on, so he won't come on. It's, it's, <laughs> he won't come on. He's so, you know, this. You know, I'm on, so he can't be on. It's just, you know, whatever. Petty things. It's no, so no. petty. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he did a great job. I wasn't able to make it. Do you know what? I think that's the first time in, I don't know how many years uh, I've been doing Truth To You. That is the first time I've missed a program ever. And uh, and Jason covered it. Thank you, my friend. Sorry you can't be with us today, but I'm sure he'll be fine for next week. But we continue on. And it's very much, it does continue on very much in the same vein as the previous Torah portion. Uh, chapter 11, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26. It says, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you Wait, obey hold, the... Hold. <laughs> Holding. It's just one little piece of the... Did I say piece of the... One little... <laughs> Writing that down that? a new word. Piece of <laughs> Let's call Webster's immediately. <laughs> It'll come up in the Google search. This is a very critical thing because when it comes to the visual, this is interesting... So we have very often, as in Isaiah 53 and all the servant songs, that the servant of God are to be witnesses, and they are spoken of in the singular and the plural. Atem abdi atem adai num Hashem, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant of my chosen. This 43.10. Notice that we're dealing with a witness. We just completed the the Shema, which is, yes. uh, which although is auditory, it the last letter of the first and last word is Ayin Dalad, which is testimony, which is visual. Interesting, there is a, in this just one passage, 
we see that entire message where the nation has to be is built as a singular destiny, and that is to be a witness people to the world. Mm-hmm. And also we have, and therefore God has placed before the nation, the blessing and the curses. The, gr- the grammar here is very strange uh, because A is singular, as God is speaking to one person. My, you are my servant. You are my witness. A C. That's one. You see, in the English, it gets stripped out, but A C. Bear witness. Anoichi noisin lifnechem hayyim. I am giving to to you, and that's in the plural. Again, these pronouns uh, strip away what yeah. the meaning is. So A singular. I giving to you the means that God is speaking to entire nation, the blessings and the curse, and of course we know what those are. Uh, we're going to have them a little bit later, but well, actually the Torahs are going to present it right over here. So we have the nation is being called to bear witness, and there's a continuation of the previous uh, chapter, both physically and in, in every way, it's a continuation. It is, it very much is. 28, the, uh, and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods. Uh, this is a theme that, that keeps, we're reminded of this uh, over and over in this, uh, in this Torah portion, to go after other gods which you have not known. There's no other religion in the world that I know of any Bible says that you have not known. This is a very critical point. Just just a moment, and then we'll. This is going to come up. What do you mean that you that you didn't know? Just should say that you will go after other gods. What do you mean you have not known? That, that you don't have that kind of language in any other religious text outside of the Jewish texts. And the reason is is that if you're worshiping a god in a manner or in an orientation. That, diff- that deviates violently from what your grandfather and your fathers did, you're in the wrong path. Because remember, there is uh, it, it, the, the, we are supposed to ask our fathers and they will tell us. So the, the nation of Israel is passing along from father to son to his son. So if I were to be worshipping a God that my father didn't know anything about it, you are on the wrong path. And my grandfather never heard about the doctrine of this, the doctrine of the Trinity, and so on. Mm-hmm. So, means you didn't know this. This is new. And that's very critical. There's nothing, that, that means this has to be part of a Messorah. And if you didn't know it, that means it's not directly from God because the Jewish people trace themselves directly back to back from Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Uh, now it shall be when the Lord your God has brought you into the land which you go to possess that you shall put the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal and ask the question, are they not on the other side of the Jordan towards the setting sun in the land of the Canaanites who dwell in the plain opposite Gilgal besides the terebinth trees of Moreh? For you will cross over the Jordan, and you will go and possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you will possess it and dwell in it, and you shall be careful to observe all 
the statutes and judgments which I set before that's, you today. That's the big opening, because what we're mm. about to encounter in this portion before us, and then in the portion that's going to follow, that's Parsha Shoftim, and then the f- following portion, and that's uh, Parsha's Kitsese, the big bulk of of portions that can that are pregnant with so many commandments that are indigenous to the land, and you know, in a way, just a passing thought, you know, it's very much like King David. He, it, there is a, a David Moses relationship that's almost, I think, impossible to miss. David was denied the ability to actually physically build the temple. Mm-hmm. However, he prepared the products for the temple. And he also prepared the book of, he was the primary author of the book of Psalms, which was a central liturgy used in the Mm -hmm. Beis Amigdosh, very much like Moses, who too was not able to physically enter the land. We have now completed chapter after chapter where Moses has entreated the Lord to go into the land, but God said, no, you can't go in. We've, we've already discussed that in previous chapters, but Moses is now going to find, he's going to take over and say, these are the laws, and what we're going to encounter here is, this is how you are to behave mm. when you enter the land. And, and there are very unique laws to the land of Israel we're going to encounter. They differ radically, and Moses is going to instruct the people about what to do when they get into the land of Israel. So there is very similar Moses, David, out never able to do it, but preparing the nation for what is going to confront before right. confront them. Chapter 12. These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord your God of your fathers is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth. And here we are with the uh, warning against idolatry again. It says you shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess served their gods on the high mountains, on, on the hills, under every green tree. And you shall destroy their altars. You'll break their sacred pillars. You'll burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down their carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. Right now, this is a, like Sasu Cain means you shouldn't do like the nations did. Now, uh, let's see, what is that? It means you should not behave in the same way towards God. Uh, let's translate that one more time. You should not, your worship orientation, meaning how you decide where you're going to perform to give your sacrifices, should not be based on how the nations do. So let's go back for a moment because we actually, it says here, the text of, in verse 2 says, when you go to the land of God, you'll find, you could be sure where you're going to find these these statues, like you have in the Rio de Janeiro, the big statue hmm. of. Well, I forgot his name already. So he Christ the Redeemer. You know, is that what his name? Okay, so he's there, there. And you know, it's interesting when you go to Bali in Indonesia. It's, it really is a stunning, shocking place. But you you can be sure that it is these startling high places, these shocking ravines, places that literally you look at and take your breath away, you know that's where they're going to place their statues. That's where Mm. their temples are going to be. That's where the altars of the Hindus Mm. in Bali 
place there. You you know that as you go to the ledge and you look over, there it is, bingo, it's right in front of you. Now, mm-hmm. what Hashem is saying, don't choose your place based on if it's under this kind of tree, if it's on the highest place, if it's in the, it has a certain leafy overhang, that's what's very pretty. Oh, no, no, no. Don't do the loisasu kain lahashem elokechem. Don't do this. Do not choose your places the way the pagans do. Now, how do you know I'm telling you the truth? It's the next verse. Look at verse five. Mm. Key. What is the first word it says? Because or mm. all, really the words be only or key only im el hamokim. Only in the place, that means only in the place. Don't do like the like the idol worshippers who do go to the highest places and look at this and the highest look at this is a waterfall, it's mm-hmm. a big statue. No, 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 no. When you come into the land of Israel, it's only where you're going to place your altars. Where you're going to. Uh, uh, bring your sacrifices uh, only those places that God has chosen you, not where your eye says, oh, this would be a nice place for a, for a temple. Oh, no, no, no. Mm. You, so that's the contrast here from before to after. Now this is, uh, so verse 5, as you say, um, you, you will seek the place where the Lord your God chooses right. out of all your tribes. Now we're talking about uh, the, the, the Temple Mount, right? This is where we are now. No, no, we're not up to the Temple Mount. Actually, just a, a, a really brief history lesson. So when the Jewish people come into the land of Israel, they actually for 14 years don't, they haven't gotten to Shiloh yet. Well, it's, it's Shiloh. It's Shiloh. Now, by the way, we're going to be going to the, to the site in Shiloh when we go on our tour. Yeah. We're going to see exactly where the uh, where the where the tabernacle uh, was, but they had the tabernacle in the wilderness. But uh, what you're saying is that because Shiloh was the first place oh, no, that God that's, chose that's to put where, His name, that, yeah, that's the first place. There was prior right. to that. And this is what it's talking about. Okay, there was a fort from the, it took time until they were able to construct the tabernacle in Shiloh. In fact, there was a 14 year period from the time they entered the land until Shiloh was established. Gilgal was the was the area. I'm explaining this because the passages that are going to follow are mm-hmm. going to be a little confusing unless you under, you understand this. And that is when they entered the land until actually Shiloh's established a 14-year interim period. Now, mm-hmm. once she, so in the 14 interim period, it had a there was a unique designation there. In that there was a a temporary temple in Gilgal, and that was the place where. Um, all the prescribed offerings could be brought. And then once it mo- was moved to Shiloh, and Shiloh will, we will be on the tour, was designated, then the prescribed offerings could be brought nowhere else. There was, as you'll see in a moment, there was in the interim 14-year period, a person could use a personal altar. Right. Or- well, this is what I'm going to ask you, because right. in First eight it says, you shall not do at all, as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. So explain that for me. Yeah. So there's two types of sacrifices. So I just, and this is very general, 
but there was one off during the, first of all, let's divide parts. During the time the Jews were in the wilderness, they, every if you wanted a hamburger, there was no such thing as private slaughter in the time of mm-hmm. the wilderness. It had to be a peace offering, and then the person can eat it. Once you enter into the land of Israel, so then you could bring personal sacrifices on your own altar, but if you wanted to bring the prescribed offering, let's give an example, a sin offering, the carbon chattis in Leviticus 4, you couldn't do that anywhere. That had to be brought at Gilgal, and then subsequently that would be brought in Shiloh. Okay? Mm-hmm. So right. therefore, there's the private places of your own desire, your own choosing. That was for your own private choosing sacrifices. You were not required to bring a a personal offering. These are just for your own personal, you know, your your own personal offerings. That you could do, but not ones that are prescribed, for instance, on certain times of year, new moon, and so on. Okay, the ones ones that are outlined in the Torah, those specifically must be taken uh, to uh, wherever the Lord puts his name to abide, and in this case, Gilgal, and eventually Shiloh. But... But now, uh, your own personal uh, offerings, you may, what you're saying is, if I understand you, your own personal offerings, you could offer on, on your home altar. And for in addition short, to that, for a short time, this for was, a short period this is of time. the interim period, they first ended the Ah, oh, in the interim period. Yes, in the interim in period. The interim but period. ongoing, ongoing past that, oh, you no. can have a, you can have a barbecue at home though, right? Sure, if you can slaughter, we're going to get to okay. that in a moment. I mean, wait, wait, wait I want to have a pastrami sandwich. So what right. was done <laughs> in the, in the wilderness <laughs> is you couldn't just go, <laughs> you couldn't just do that. So the, you, we're going to come to that in a moment let's say you were you're living in Beersheba. you know today you mm. may seem like you take the number i don't know what bus and you're there in the ancient world you know just traveling from samaria going distance, down to yeah. just there was a days days you know, let's say a person max could travel usually they the estimates are the fastest you can move is the clip is maybe 20 miles a day at the at the you know the people people it, traveling was a major thing there was all kinds of uh, dangers involved so therefore it, now they're entering the land so there was a 14 year interim period where there was two classes of offerings one offering was a communal offering an offering that was prescribed which you had to bring for instance yep. a sin offering example but if someone wanted to bring a personal private offering they could do it in the place that they choose later on once it is established in shiloh and then later on of course in jerusalem this is going to become a big problem for the kings the davidic kings that people had what are called bumos and people often confuse that for idolatry it wasn't just people like to have their own altar in their own backyard Hezekiah was very successful of ridding the land of this and saying, look, any kind of, this is not for personal slaughter, but if you were bringing sacrifices to God, that can only be brought into Jerusalem. This is actually going to become a very big deal later on in the prophets of how to to rid this practice. Again, it's not idolatry, but to rid this practice of private altars that people had in their own homes. Okay, so that's why we've got in verse 13, take heed to yourself that you do not offer your burnt offering in every place that you see, but 
in the place which the Lord chooses in one of your tribes. There you shall offer the burnt offerings and there uh, you shall do all that is commanded you. However, in verse 15, you may slaughter and eat meat within all your gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you, that the the unclean and the clean may eat of it. Now, what what does that mean? Well, the unclean that, and the clean may eat. It doesn't mean a animal here. It, now we're talking about some just... We're talking about the state of the individual. Right. That means the state okay. of the individual. The, what we're told is that a person who are is eating it, they can. Let's just finish the sentence because actually the verse, mod, the modifier at the end, it will say what the deer and the gazelle. Is that how you have mm-hmm. it translated? Okay, that's so, what I've got. Deer and gazelle. What, yeah. What's unique? Let's take the deer. What's unique about a deer? Uh, a little, a little hint. It's like a chicken. It's an animal that's kosher, but what? no, a deer has that thing. It has a feature. <laughs> Like a chicken and going, dear chicken, what? Well, as yeah, a chicken, I'm doing exactly that. Well, dear chicken, what? Dear chicken, what? <laughs> we actually have deer on the hill here where I live. There are deer. Of course, there's deers. There's all over. Look, when I grew up in Brooklyn, on? we had it all over. It was deer jumping over. <laughs> of course, you did. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on with the deer and the chicken? Oh, uh, yeah, brach. A deer is unique in that it is a kosher animal. However, is a deer ever offered as a carbon? Ah. The answer is never. What is a chicken a kosher a clean bird? Of course it mm-hmm. is. However, is a that bird ever used as a sacrifice? The answer no. is never. Ah, now we understand what the delicious tire is saying. Just like when you're eating kosher animals, that means mm-hmm. you're eating the 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 deer the, the and the uh, and how do you and the gazelle. gazelle These yeah. are animals that are not the broadest sacrifice, and therefore there's no distinction made. If two one person has to be contaminated, one person is not contaminated. Uh, they can eat you. together because it's just like eating deer and gazelle. Translation: Just like eating and that means just like you're not bringing an offering. So this is a special Torah uh, permission. This is the God giving us permission that people who are clean and unclean can actually share the plate together and they and they can enjoy it together. That's what it means, the deer and the unclean, just as though they're eating other animals like the gazelle and like the mm-hmm. deer or the heart, however the right. many translations. Uh, Beautiful. That, that makes perfect sense, but uh, verse 16 uh, rock, stipulates only you out. shall not. Yeah, watch out that you do not eat the blood, you shall pour it out on the earth like water. Right. You may you may not eat within your gates the tithe uh, of your of your grain or your new wine and so on and so forth. Um, but you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord your God chooses. But there, there it is, uh, uh, and that's reiterated as well throughout the Torah in a couple of places in this Torah portion, but you must not eat the blood. Right. And in fact, in the, in the slaughterhouse to this day, the blood is poured out, and it's actually mm. covered with uh, with uh, earth. And there's a bracha, a special blessing that we make when when the when one of the people operating this do that, that they pour out the blood that no part of it may be eaten. Actually, their blood has a unique status in Jewish law that you may not have any pleasure from it. You can't buy it. You can't, you can't sell it. You can't do anything with it. It has to be rendered utterly worthless. This is, uh, and, and again, reiterated in verse 23, only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. You may not eat the life with the meat. You shall not eat it. Uh, you shall pour it out on the earth like water. 
shall not eat it, and uh, and so on and so forth. In kosher meat, they actually drain the blood out completely using salt and soaking it in cold water and getting rid of all the blood. We remove it completely before it ever gets to you. It uh, continues on saying that uh, you shall, oh, well, it says uh, only the holy things, verse 26, only the holy things which you have uh, and your vowed offerings you shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses and you shall offer the burnt offerings and the meat and the blood on the altar of the Lord your God. The blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar uh, of the Lord your God and you shall eat the meat. Observe all and obey all these words which I command you that it may go well with you and your children after you forever when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. Right. Now here, uh, we're again, this is the third time, beware of false gods. Uh, verse 29, when the Lord your God cuts off from you uh, before you the nations which you go to dispossess and you and you displace them uh, and dwell in their land take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow after them after they are destroyed from before you and that you do not inquire after that god saying how do these nations serve their gods i will do likewise you shall not worship the lord your god in that way for every abomination every abomination to the lord which he hates, they have done to their gods, for they even burn their, their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. And it is, if you notice, in all the almost all the ancient pagan religions in, uh, engage in some form of human sacrifice. And one, in fact, I posted and they had this going on in South America where a 10-year-old boy was... Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. But notice what no culture that, that I am aware of, and I've, I've researched this extensively, no culture took bank robbers, rapists, and drug dealers and brought them as sacrifices. It was always children. It was always mm. babies. It was always virgins. It was always mm. the sinless never the sinful that were offered as human sacrifices. This is throughout the, uh, throughout the world. Mm. And yet, and yet, you know, Israel uh, or the Jews are accused of such and, and blood libels and so on and so forth. Oh, they yeah. cause so many pogroms and, and uh, uh, you know, over the time of Pesach and so on and so forth. We get accused of that. But here it's um, uh, very, very clear that we're not to engage in any such activity. I, I don't know how much you want to digress, but the, the, the nation of Israel represents God on earth. I had this conversation Shabbat, and if I'm digressing, just, just, right. just as a point. Go for it. You know, it's interesting that if you look at those who attack our faith, you notice that they attack, you hear all the time, there was no such person as Daniel. The book of Daniel was a forgery. It was written later. Uh, there was no Queen Esther. She didn't exist. There was no uh, exodus from Egypt. Never happened. It's a piece of mythology. There was no giving a Torah in Mount Sinai. It was documentary hypothesis. Now, what is very strange, I just want to point this out. What is very odd is these are, if I was an atheist and wanted to find the weak spots in the in the Torah, which are vulnerable to attack, these would be the worst places to attack. Why? Mm. It's very simple. How do you have that the queen of Persia, who under her literally entire known world 
How could you invent that? How could you? How could people say the Holocaust never happened? I mean, the whole nation mm. was there, and we convinced the Germans that they participated. How could it be? How is it possible that the mm. viceroy of all of the Babylonian Empire was a, not just a Jew, not some assimilated Jew, but he was a prophet, and the Jews would invent it? Like, like how is that? And th- what is very odd is that these are really terrible to attack. That would require a mass conspiracy. Not only that, of course, it's silly because Ezekiel refers to Daniel many times. You know what I find odd, and I don't, and I've, I don't know if I've ever shared this with anyone before. I've never heard a a the atheists and the those who are the opponents of the Jewish faith attack. No, come on, three angels meaning Abraham? Nonsense. <laughs> I never heard that. Now, or come on, you're telling me that Elisha really resurrected a child from the dead? Come on, isn't that you expect? I I have I don't know if you have I have never seen one uh, right so why are they why like dummies if you want to attack now in truth if someone asked me can you prove that Elijah was able to perform these miracles of Elisha of resurrection I'd say I can't it really is a matter of faith of the mm-hmm. miracle that occurred, that occurred between Abraham and the angels. That's a matter of faith. We, we, mm-hmm. we will on our tour go down to the Dead Sea area, and you're going to smell the sulfur. It's, it, it's pleasant, but you're going to smell it. It's whatever. You'll enjoy it when you're there. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it then. I don't want to waste time. I, I don't want to take away from the tour, but we'll talk about it then. But the key point is I can't defend. That means it is a matter of faith for me that Abraham's encounter with three angels. So it means I, I really wouldn't be able to. Exodus is really is. The evidence is mounting. And all these things are national experiences. How do you make up that the vice mm. president? So then why are they? So let's stop for a moment. So why is it that the if the Sam Harris's, the, the, all these guys are attacking events that really are not vulnerable to this kind of scrutiny, whereas we have a whole wide range of claims in the Torah, of conversations, of miracles, the 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 um, the the cleansing of Naaman, uh, the who is who is mm. leprous. I can't. Someone said, "Prove to me it happened." I can't. I believe it on mm. faith because I believe in the yes. book. So it doesn't make sense. Why go after the strongest positions? Go after the weak stuff. The answer is that they're really attacking the nation of Israel. They're saying the nation of Israel is not reliable. The nation, and as it turns out, as the Bible says in in First Samuel fifteen twenty nine, nation of Israel doesn't lie. As a nation, we are faithful to the God of Israel. We don't make up our history, but that's what they're doing. They're not really. Well, it's, it's worse than saying that we're not reliable. It's saying that uh, that the Jews are conspirators. They get right. together that's to conspire and make up a yes. story and sell it to us. Right, because in order. Remember, if let's say Daniel was never, this is not a direction, this is directly it. If Daniel never was the vice viceroy of Egypt, second in command, mm. how would, and, and someone then uh, in time of centuries later say it was, what would every Jew who was in Babylon, probably, mm. possibly millions ago, go, you know, someone eventually said, well, why didn't we hear about that? Like, what? <laughs> it was a Jew who was mm. vice president, Joe, you know, Joe Lieberman was vice president. Well, 
How can we never? You you can't invent that the queen of the entire Persia was a Jew, not just a Jew. Like you show some assimilate you, like Eva Gabor, you know the Gabor sisters that no one knew they were talking about a prophet. How do you invent these kinds of things? They go after the they go after those things that really would attack the nation of Israel. Anyways, let's mm-hmm. here we're coming to the very very big this is very important this is very important this is very important and actually you know what i I just want to say uh long-time listeners of truth to you understand that truth to you has gone through you know different um uh, uh, times of phases if you like it morphs from time to time and uh it's not unusual in in recent in, in the last year that a messianic or a hebrew roots person may come to me and say you know i've been listening to truth to you for such a long time but I don't know about you know all this stuff that you keep uh, you keep highlighting in the Torah where you don't like Christianity where where you know the Torah the the, the Tanakh seems to uh, contradict that which uh, the New Testament teaches and is it really necessary? I mean, obviously we get the picture you don't like it you don't believe in that stuff anymore. But is it really necessary to keep going on like that? Can't we just focus on the Torah? Can't we just focus on the Tanakh and uh, just learn from it? And do you have to keep telling us what you don't like? Now, I get this from time to time, and this is a chapter that I think answers the question, uh, I think, Tobia, because it is important. It is important to let people know where they may be in idolatry, where they may be going wrong. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's not something I can live with to tickle people's ears and hope that eventually they discover the truth, and I think this is a chapter that points that out. Chapter 13 of, chapter, uh, of uh, Deuteronomy, it says, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods, which which you have not known. There it is again. There it is again. And let us serve them. Yep. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you. The Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, but that prophet or that dreamer of dreams uh, shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall put away the evil from your midst. Let's stop there. Tope, your thoughts. Yeah, the thoughts are the Torah... You know, I have, I've never asked you this question. You spent a great deal of your life in the church. I've never personally been impressed with the claims of Christianity. Um, But the Torah is impressed, meaning the the, the Torah is not nearly as sardonic as I am about these claims of miracles and so on and speaking in tongues and have you met Jesus? Didn't you meet Jesus? Why not meet Jesus? Even though there's a lot of celebrity activity because somehow the Protestants don't are not impressed with all these encounters with Mary on French toast in the Philippines as right. they somehow those miracles don't matter. It's only their miracles that have to be by their guys, but if it's a different one, aha it's nothing. So <laughs> what's 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 very important is how it is the book. And this is my oh, my approach, whether I'm debating whether mm-hmm. I'm speaking to someone, the question is mm-hmm. and I you know, I'll tell you this, when I sit down with somebody who who is a Christian? Who who who's willing to has some questions? I just ask them the question: What do you do if you've had a 
personal spiritual experience, but it is not consistent with the Torah. Yes. Do you? What do you do? Do you go with the personal experience? God spoke to me. He revealed this to me. I mean, God, if you, if you spent any time in the church, this is all you hear. God revealed to yeah. me. He laid it on my heart. How many? Mm. What laid on your heart? We just go to scripture. Incidentally, it's interesting. It may seem minor, but the Christian Bibles. Uh, Chap break the chapter slightly differently, I believe, because in chapter thirteen, verse one, really should be uh, should be that you should not add to the law nor take away from the law. Ah, verse, well, that's verse thirty-two of uh, twelve in the Christian Bible. Yeah, Whatever I command you, you should be careful to observe it. You shall not add yeah, to it nor take away from it. But the church separated that and kept that aside from this. And the the reason now you understand why Stephen mm. Langs. He was responsible for this, for separating those, for separating yes. those, because they're intimately connected. Once you start to pick and choose, oh, this is okay. No, you know, this makes us a little uncomfortable. We don't want to talk about this. We don't. Let's all just play guitar together and sing la li la. And to, <laughs> unless, of course, we're going to talk about Mormonism, then there are a bunch of idiots. You know, somehow <laughs> then ecumenical Mormons. Oh, look at those Mormons, they're idiots. And the yeah. same people. When you go out and talk with them in Israel, they go to these Catholic churches are not says Jesus never was there. It was very, uh, Helena Constantine's mother. The right away, somehow this ecumenical, you know, thing goes flying out the window. If it's right not the yeah, as long as it's not Mormons and Catholics, what's Mormons? Ha ha! They got you. So if it's a Muslim, <laughs> they, 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 they never pass by a mosque. Oh, look at the mosque. There's a moon on top. But to know what? The, no, they worship the moons. They worship Muslims. Worship moons for day tomorrow. And Muslims are going, what the heck are these people talking? About? <laughs> so everybody is very selective. This is what I'm going. Yes. What makes me feel good? Let's go. Yeah, we mm. all saw Israel. The Muslims are against us. Let's be friends. Number one, you have to be your friend with the God of with the God of Israel. He's my number one rabbi. My rabbi is the God of Israel. And if I do have to choose between Romans chapter 7, where Paul exhorts the Jews not to keep the commandments, look it up for yourself, not Gentiles, which most people think. No, if he says that, and I have Deuteronomy 13, verse 1, or in a Christian Bible, it's the last passage of chapter 12, of which has a parallel passage in Deuteronomy 4, verse 2. This is really it. What Jews are doing, this is the key point, what Jews are doing in all cases is we're taking the Jewish Bible, and that's our foundation, and then we're examining, uh, we are evaluating claims made by other faiths, and based on those claims, we either embrace them or reject them. Well, why do we do that? Hashem says, do this. This is how you're supposed to follow. And that's, that's our right. foundation. Now, why is it that you have Christians who are nice people in every other aspect of their lives, even how they evaluate the claims of Mormonism, how they evaluate, test the claims of the reasonable people, good, fine people, but somehow it all collapses. And why is it? It's not just, look, I don't know what's going on politically in Australia, but maybe there's some argument of a gun control. Who knows what's going on there? Mm. So, but you know, but at least people who maybe think that people should be able to have a gun, not have a gun, 
people seem to understand what the other side, what their position is, or why they advocate for it. Like, why can't you just say that you're reading the text and you're coming to a different conclusion? What really is happening is Christians are reading the Christian Bible first. It's their foundation. They're reading Paul first, and then they're then reading the Jewish Bible through that filter. Jews are just reading these texts. These are epic passages. These are, are, cannot be undone. And frankly, when we, you will not find verses like this in the Christian Bible. On the contrary, in the Christian Bible, we don't have to keep the law. When Peter, we are told that Peter sees a sheet falling down from heaven and say, filled with animals that are unclean, mm. and saying, kill them and you may eat it. And, mm. and and eat them, and that's a voice from heaven, and eat that them. happens yeah. repeatedly. We're going. This is not the word of God, and, and in a sense, Marcion, the the what is called the heretic, but the Christian thinker said, right, the New Testament mm-hmm. and the Christian and the Jewish scriptures are not compatible. Of course, we reject that claim. It's the, we don't even get to the point of is it historically accurate? To, did that event ever happen? Didn't have. It's not relevant to us. The Torah says, don't add to it, don't take away. The moment it says, you know, what I have made, what I make clean, the Torah says the unclean animals are not kosher. You can't add to it, can't take away from it. That, that, uh, that closes the door on it. That's a fix. There it goes. If your brother, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom, your friend who is your own soul, secretly entices you saying, let us go and serve other gods, That's which critical. you have, and there it is again, That's which you have not known, you did not know. neither... Neither you nor your fathers, yeah, of of the gods of the people which are around you, uh, near to you or far off from you, from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent to him nor listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, uh, nor shall you spare him nor conceal him, but you shall surely kill him, your hand shall be first against him to put him to death and afterward the hand of the people and you shall stone him with stones until he dies because he sought to entice you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, uh, the house of bondage. So so all Israel mm. shall hear and fear and yes. not again do such yeah. wickedness and again, as this among you. The key is that, that you have Serious known, stuff. that you are aware of this. Everything, this is a key point, everything Jews do is based on what we've seen and what we have witnessed. This is the auditory visual. I, I just want to give an example, something that people are not aware of, but this is actually humongous. The reason we know why tefillin, phylacteries, look like tefillin, so we, there's an oral Torah, oral teachings, which was recorded some 1,800 years ago, but it's also because we saw the, the phylacteries that Zachariah wore. We saw them. There was always a visual. We saw, we saw, and it's passed on from generation to generation. Many people People say, ah, these mean a sign. You don't have to keep it. It just mean it doesn't mean you're literally binding in your arms. It doesn't mean that. As it turns out, in K four, they found twenty four phylacteries dating long, twenty two hundred years old. Everything is there just the way the Jewish people has mm. seen it. And so, and I'll give you an example where we lost sight of something. Just one quickie to understand how important this is. As it turned out, for Jewish people throughout Europe and so on, and, and, and Asia, 
Jews stop eating locusts. The Torah does outline certain species of locusts that are kosher. We now we have the written mm, information right. of how you identify the kosher species of locusts, but because the culture around us stopped eating these creatures, we stopped eating them, and we lost the knowledge through visual contact. Interestingly, we therefore Jews, except for the Yemenite Jews, don't eat locusts anymore. But the mm. Yemenite Jews can eat locusts. Why? Because as it turns out, this the Yemenite Jews have been eating it. They never stopped eating it. So they always had a yedia and a, a shmira and a, a, a re'iya. They saw it, and it was passed on from generation to generation. And that's key. The Jewish people are a nation who are married to God, and we, we testify to the book by by sight, and that's how this portion begins, and the book testifies to us. Right. So you, you, you're trying. This is you're trying to tell me then that you've never. I mean, I mean, you had locusts in Brooklyn, right? So I mean, locusts would starve to death in Brooklyn. What would you do in Brooklyn with a locust? <laughs> so you never had a locust. You've never had a locust. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> they have. They what have, about they in have, Indonesia? They must have they some have pretty decent sized locusts there. They have cockroaches here that have license plates on the back. In fact, there's one cockroach that went condo yesterday. <laughs> I'm not kidding. There was a cockroach sitting on Jakarta on the corner, and a cop came over to him and told him to break it up. I'm telling you, this is these are big animals here. <laughs> I'm kidding, but this is exotic land. <laughs> Maybe you get a nice juicy. Get someone uh, to find you a nice yeah, you know, jungle locust there. there and, and, but the technically, but here, here there's, uh, here there's, uh, <laughs> there's, there's biodiversity in this. I'm glad I live on the 26th floor because if you're down low, forget about it. They got more. They got more of everything here. Every creature you can imagine. This is the epicenter of biodiversity. Yeah, it's undoubted. I know it is right on the equator there. Now, uh, now continues on. If you hear someone in your cities, even in the cities. It says, uh, you know, corrupt men have gone out among you and enticed the inhabitants of the, the city saying, let us go and serve other gods which you have not known. Again, there it is. This is a very special commandment called an, of an ear honey darkness, which means a whole city that has gone astray. They, the whole, now a very careful examination of the city has, but they just adopted idolatry from mm. beginning to end. They've just, the whole city is worshiping idols and so on. And the Torah is going to say that they have to be destroyed. And mm. again, those of you asking me, can I keep my crucifix? Can I put it on eBay? No, you can't. You're not allowed to have any pleasure, derive any joy. I, did I tell you? Oh, oh, I think I mentioned it last week. A friend of mine bought a beautiful apartment in the old city of Jerusalem. The guy had Canaanite statues that probably were priceless. Mm -hmm. I said, look, he, got, he said, whatever, this is worth a fortune because it came with the whole house. I said, you have to destroy it completely. And he was fulfilled the mitzvah right there on Rechov uh, HaTamid. So, chapter 14. Now, this is out of the blue. This It, it says, uh, you are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor shave the front of your head for the dead. Now, this reminds me of what yeah. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 27, I think it is, and um, something similar there. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you mm -hmm. to be a people for him, 
for himself a special Very treasure above cheap. all the people there who are on the face of the earth. There is one phrase here that you will never find anywhere else in the Bible. It's very famous, but you are children to the Lord your God. You'll only find it here. The context is, that you are sons to the Lord your God. It's unique to this passage, to this prohibition. What is the Torah saying here? The Torah is saying, the person, this was very common among the, 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 Ammonites, the Moabites, among the nations of the world, when the when a father would die, when they would go through um, some sort of mourning, they would literally they would rip out the hair out of their between their eyes or the they just rip it out, causing doesn't mean just cut their hair. They would just rip it out in order to demonstrate the thing. And Torah right. says this is forbidden. You're not allowed to do this. And now. I want to ask you to do this with me. Why? So a person is mourning excessively. Mm-hmm. In the pagan world, when you lost someone who was very dear and you went, you, you went, they would go into such a frenzy of mourning, uncontrolled, that they would get, get engaged mm-hmm. in physical self-mutilation. Okay? Now, let's conjugate. So why calm, is that yeah. the mm-hmm. Torah begin by saying, don't you ever dare do as forbidden? And then the opening verses, because you are children to the Lord your God. Therefore, excessive mourning is therefore antithetical to the, is not consistent with the notion. So what's the bigger picture here? What is this? We're all children of Hashem. This all continues. You still have a father. What are you? You're denying everything. You're by committing doesn't necessarily mean suicide only, uh, by, by physically mutilating yourself, going to that point you're saying, I have nothing, I have no father, I have no connection to anything. No, 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 no. I'm the father, mm-hmm. and I'm in, I'm in charge of everything. Don't you, don't you imitate these kinds of practices that were commonplace among the pagans, because unlike them, when someone died, God only, there was the end of it, they had no connection to their gods, you are my son. I'm not just the object mm. of your worship as the creator. I'm daddy. I'm your papa. I love you. And I, the one who passed mm. away, I'm his father too. And God forbid, if, if your mother passed away, I'm her father too. Your connection has not been broken. You still have a father. Don't imitate these kinds of practices as though all is over. Let me self-mutilate myself because I have nothing to live for. That's why, Therefore, Therefore, don't engage in this kind of practices of ripping out the, uh, the hair between your eyes uh, for those who have passed away. It continues on uh, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 14, from verse 3, uh, we have the laws of uh, what you can eat and what you can't eat, that which is clean, that which is unclean. Uh, we talked about this in what was it, Leviticus chapter 11 as well. Before the, the, the flood in the time of Noah, man did not have permission to eat from animals. Once the, after the flood, man essentially saved the animal kingdom, God then said you may eat of them, but there are constraints. You can't eat any animal you want to. You can't kill it in any ill way you want to. There's clearly a definition between clean and unclean. Notice it's saying if you want to eat. You can go around shoot blowing off a deer's head off like that idiot. 
What was with that dentist? I don't understand it. And what there's this, yeah, this idiot in, in Africa that kills the lion. I don't understand any person that goes and kills an animal, whether it's what, clean what, what or unclean, what, just what so they that? can have their photo taken How, next to it. I they are not never from, understand it. Never understand. Ending a life of a, of a... I mean, look, if the animal is attacking you and you've got to defend yourself or if you're hungry and you, and you need to eat, I can understand it. But what... You, you travel to another country, you find a poor defenseless animal, you lure it away from, from wherever, you, you get it in a situation where you can shoot it. Aha, here's my photo. I can take this back and put it on my wall. What? I, and I, I, These I, people, I, I don't I, understand. I don't, I, I don't understand the whole thing. I don't, I don't get why. I understand why if a guy wants to eat deer, go ahead and, 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 and hunting. Well, go kill an animal for the yeah. pleasure of killing another animal. I never even. This I don't know that an animal. That no, I no animal does such a thing. You there know? are animals like uh, lions that will kill a babies in order to get the mother to mate again, which is not you know the prettiest thing, but just to go kill for no. And it got me thinking. Something you said in the last Torah portion uh, that I was I was listening back to, where just you and Jason. And you pointed out that God says, you know, you're not going to go in there and wipe everybody out all at once. If you were to do that, then the uh, the wild animals would come and and, and uh, overtake the place. And what that says to me is, not only is it sensible, you know, a bit here and a bit there, and, and you, you take the land uh, in, in a measured way, but it also says to me, Toby, and it occurred to me last, last week, oh, yeah. God is concerned with the life of the animal. It's, uh, he's concerned with the life of the animal. And, uh, you know, when we have people like this that go out and, and hunt just for the even, sport of it, it, the sport. I, I, don't, I don't get the sport. Like, I don't understand how the word, I understand how the word yeah. sport applies to uh, baseball. I just don't know the crossover of sitting yeah. and, and shooting this, this creature and just ending its life. And I don't, anyways, that's not, I'm sure it's just unbelievable. I agree. So um, now it goes on to talk about tithing. Yeah, now, this again, now you mentioned before, this is verse 24, but if the journey is too long for you, that you are unable to carry the tithe, or uh, if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money, and take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and there, uh, and you shall spend the money on whatever your heart well, desires. The key is here is elaborate that, this, uh, this is talking about Mesa Shani, and uh, which means a second a second tithing, and that tithing has to be in, given to the brought to Jerusalem. But sometimes it's it, very very difficult to bring uh, large animals and so on. Therefore, the, the it is the animal is then redeemed, and once it is redeemed, the Torah says that the person who is clean and unclean can eat from it's in the text can eat from the same animal because it's already already been redeemed it has but it has the money has to be brought to the land of israel it was the ancient world again to carry even today to go transport animals over long distances was uh, was quite burdensome oh yeah it's not an easy thing now, um, chapter 15 talks about the Shemitah year, right? What we're interested in is the, we want to focus on the, on the servant, on the Evid. There are only mm. two ways a Jew could become an Evid, a servant, slave, whatever word you want to associate with it. One way is that a person stole, or another way is that a person was simply destitute 
which is pointed out over here. He doesn't have money, so he mm-hmm. simply he's really hiring himself out. He's he's fallen on hard very he's fallen on hard times, and so, so he's hired himself the out. Right? Warns us here many many times. Be very careful with such a person. They are um, they they're treated first of all when you have to treat them well. When they leave, remember that when you went out of Egypt. Uh, you were given gifts, you were enriched, don't hold back and make sure that they go, you know, and when the seventh year comes, then all the servants, slaves, whatever name, are released. And the Torah warns us, remember, you remember when you left Egypt? You remember how you, how, if you recall, when the Jews left Egypt, they simply approached the Egyptians who willingly and happily and smilingly gave over their wealth to the Jewish people after serving for centuries. Now, you know, just think about it. God didn't have to do that. He could have had, let's say, during Makas Chayshech, which during the plague of darkness didn't affect the Jews, they could have just walked into all the Egyptian houses and just taken what they wanted. No one would have seen a thing. No, 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 no. When you left Egypt, people happily, with a smiling face, gave you everything. Make sure, just remember, you were slaves in Egypt. Make sure to give it over to things. Now, there are the, you know, right. when you read Huckleberry Finn, so the problem of slavery was that slaves were miserable and they were treated like garbage and animals and they wanted to escape and they were mm-hmm. often beaten within an inch of their lives. The Torah is dealing, this is not to say, yeah. it's the opposite situation. They're a it's member a of your family. Though, They're a complete member of your family. And uh, as such, the problem mm-hmm. was, they were, I don't want to leave. I love it here. <laughs> this, I, I Look, I may not be an expert on slavery in in America during the uh, 18th and 19th century. I'm not an expert on it, but I don't know if there are two, if this would have been the big problem of slaves who did not want to go free. In the Torah, this is the big one. In Torah, the big question is, I don't want to mm-hmm. go free. I want to stay. I love it here. So interestingly, you put his ear against the... Um, Against the doorpost, and you put and you put a doorpost, nail through yeah. it, which would do what? Which would put blood on the on the doorpost. Striking Passover. You came out of Pesach. Egypt. Remember, yeah. he should also. It, it's an indication. Our sages tells that, you know, you are to be a servant to God. What are you doing, um, indenturing yourself as a slave? For this longer period of time, when it really isn't necessary, you already have the needs are taken care of. You should have listened to Mount Sinai that you are a. There is a subtle criticism of the person who's who's who actually makes such a crime, but he's going. I love it here. Things are great here. Things are terrific mm-hmm. here. And God says, make sure when they leave. I'm just giving you the full picture. Don't hold back. Don't tighten your fist. God will bless you. Do with a smile. Make sure that you take care of mm. the person who's uh, who's moving on to a new life. If he is, uh, uh, so he is a, a servant um, to his master, and if his master, for example, gives him a wife um, and uh, and they have children, then the, the the wife and the children are still the the, the property of the master. 
And when it comes time that he may go free, he may not want to go free. He's like, well, but I love my wife and my and and I love and my master and everything is. There's so much here that 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 is here for me, and I don't want to go out. I want to stay here with you. So it's not unusual, and it's actually a huge responsibility that the owner uh, takes on. You, really, you to almost, to, uh, to pierce his ear. In the words of our sages, "Call me Shekona Eved, Kona Rabbi." Whosoever uh, acquires for himself a servant has acquired for himself a master, because you have to. There's so many, mm. so many laws involved in how you have to care for someone who, because they become a part of your family, they. Are, so therefore, because they become a part of your family, you, if there's only one pillow, guess who gets it? It's not you. So <laughs> you have to, who gets fed right. first? If there's hot food and warm food, who gets the warm food? All these things, this, the person is taking care of first. And remember, you want slaves in Egypt. Of course, the Torah is always warning us about these things because it's 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 not difficult to figure out that there was a a a, a possibility uh, that people would abuse these laws given the circumstances. The Torah warns us in other places that if a master uh, harms, injures a thing, even you know all the laws associated with that that can happen. But that was not what is coming up over and over and over again is uh, the uh, the problem. The 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 first servant really wanted to stay there. He was a member of the family in in so many ways. Mm. Let me take you back to verse six. It says, uh, "For the Lord your God will." Bless you, just as he promised you, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. It's an interesting situation that, that Israel is in today. We uh, Israel blesses the world with technology in so many ways, with uh, uh, with medicines and, and with uh, fruit and vegetables and flowers and produce and, and just amazing technologies in which the world is blessed. Um, but can we say that they do not borrow? I mean, what what sort of situation is because Israel's reliance on 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 America, for example, in many in many ways. How how are we yeah, to understand I mean, remember, this person? This is the going way to Israel come up many times that we're not to take the take from other peoples, and in fact. When they were coming to build the second temple, the Samaritans said, "Look, we want to be a part of it, and so on and so forth." Can't do that. Look at look at the three and a half billion dollars a year that Israel takes from the United States annually. Do you know what that? You know what that costs Israel. You know what kind of uh, concessions the Jewish state has to make in order because it accepts that three and a half billion dollar grant gift. It's, it creates enormous problems. Uh, you know, uh, UN Resolution 1701, which protects Hezbollah. Hezbollah is sitting there right on the northern border, and they're preparing for a vast war. Why? Because Condoleezza Rice pressured Israel into making such a ridiculous concession. Don't ever do that. Never, never put yourself in a position where you have to rely on others. I can think of other situations because the Torah is a living document, my friends. This is not talking about the past. I remember years ago, mm. many of you don't know this, but Israel actually developed the most advanced fighter jet in the world called the Lavi. Going back many years ago, it was the, it would have been the state of the art jet. Do you know that the U.S. Congress lobbied the Knesset not to produce it? Buy our jets. Don't become that. In, don't be that independent. 
They want the dependency that America has. And you see it when you read the newspapers all the time. Israel takes all this money and grants and so on and so forth. But it it doesn't, Mm. it's not willing to commit suicide whenever America says, please kill yourself. And everyone's like scratching out, why doesn't Israel just commit Mm. suicide for America? After all, we see three and a half billion dollars a year. Incidentally, why do we need the three and a half billion dollars a year? I'll tell you the reason why Israel needs to be armed to the teeth. Because Israel has made concessions uh, to Washington, which placed it in a precarious position, and it needs that much more weaponry just in order to deal with the policies that have been basically national suicide. That's why the Obama administration right now is going, we're willing to hike up Israel's defense budget and so on uh, if Israel willingly accepts Iran's a nuclear program that will put it within reach of a, a nuclear weapon to wipe out the state of Israel, which Iran said that that's was that is its entire goal in in everything is to wipe Israel the face of the map. But what they're saying yeah. is, well, we'll give you a few more planes, so this way it won't be. Well, if your attack with a nuclear weapon will come to your defense, what kind of stupidity is that when you come to your defense? <laughs> what, are you, what are you going to do after mm. they drop mm. a, a nuclear mm. weapon on a Shahab 3, God forbid, over Tel Aviv? What exactly going to come? You're going to come to our defense being what? With a shovel to uh, to shovel the ashes? I'm sorry to be that. What kind of stupid talk is this? You, you're calling on Israel to what? To commit suicide? For you know, you know, so that and that's what's happening. Or whatever. Mm. Don't take these kinds of bribes. Don't accept this from the nations of the world. You're going to pay a very high price for it. Look at 365 square kilometers, which is what the Gaza Strip is. That was filled with Jewish communities, 21 of them, but until August of 2005. And what are they now? These well, were mm-hmm. once synagogues and most beautiful Jewish communities are now launching pads for the terrorists. Why did Israel do it? They gave it to pressure from Washington. Mm. So there we are. How did we get the situation that we're in mm. with Iran? Who was under the Carter watch? Well, all these things happen because this is the disaster that we're in right now. Tyra says, be careful. It's very easy after the fact to say, don't do it. Uh, you know, did you ever like stub your toe and then someone says, be careful? And you go, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and then someone says, be careful. Oh, yeah. I didn't know I was supposed to be careful. I thought I was supposed to. <laughs> if I knew that, I, if I knew if I would be able to stub my toe, I would be more careful. I would have run straight head on. <laughs> you told me that before. Track the trailer truck on the interstate at 800 miles an hour. <laughs> it's a good thing you told me because I was just ready to get on the highway. Be careful. <laughs> but this is the tangled web. This is the tangled web that it weaves, and uh, and and this is the this is the problem that Israel finds itself in today. But here is the verse: You shall not lend to you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, and they shall not reign over you. May that be soon. Now, getting back to uh, verse nineteen, uh, it's talking about the law concerning firstborn oh, yeah. animals. Yeah, they, have to, they have to be redeemed, uh, they have, right? They have to. They have to. Sure, they, they have to be redeemed it's necessary that all the firstborn animals uh this adds to the teachings already that we learned earlier that are consecrated at birth they have to be Mm -hmm. given to the priest um and it becomes an offering you'll find this going back in leviticus 27 uh we we also just study this in chapter 18 verse 18 but here the 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 torah is discussing the the role of the owner in adding the sanctity of the animal that must be done with the animal 
um, that is disqualified by a blemish for use for an orphaning. So the Torah... Mm, if there's a defect, yeah. If it's lame or if it's blind, has any serious defects, you right. shall not sacrifice to So there the Torah to is Lord adding an extra, uh, an extra prohibition against... But you can still right. eat it, right? You cannot bring it for a sacrifice. But you just can't you can sacrifice it. it. You just so you right. know that actually in a kosher animal, the the animal has to be healthy on the inside, which means we do we actually check the lungs to make sure mm-hmm. the animal's uh is is physically healthy on the inside, and if it's no good on the inside, I'm not eating that one either. But it's but again it reiterates uh, the last verse in that chapter: only you shall not eat the blood; you shall pour it out on the ground like water. Now we find ourselves in chapter 16; it's the last chapter of our Torah portion, and we revisit Pesach, more briefly, Shavuot, we're not and Sukkot. Be given the dates here, as we were given in Leviticus 23, because we already have the dates already. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, all to all those who uh, who embrace documentary hypothesis and consider this a different document, I know this is a problem for you. But uh, sorry to explain to you that the P document, uh, the, the, it's it's a one book. Uh, but what we, we but there is a very key point here, and that is, uh, you know, the Muslims have a lunar calendar, and because the lunar calendar is eleven and a quarter days shorter than the tropical or solar calendar. Fast. You go, how fast could it be? 11 days. What's 11 days? Well, as it turns out, 11 days is huge because it, 11 days means that every every yeah. year Ramadan comes out uh, 11 days earlier. And if you do the math, every 32 years, Ramadan flies all over the whole could come out in the winter, the summer, doesn't make a difference. The terrorist, hmm. however, is in a, a very important modifier. And that modifier is that the, the Pesach can only come out in the springtime, which means that's the, so Shabar Eschidish Ha'oviv Lasois Pesach Lashem Lekecha. That means Passover can only be key. So the, now we know that the first month always has to come out in the springtime, which means that you have to have, mm-hmm. you have to be able to alter the calendar in some way. We do that by adding not a leap day as in the Gregorian calendar, February. They do that in Australia? Do they? In Australia, what, what we lack a day every four know. years what and we're behind everybody. What? Yeah, down under, whatever. It's a different place. Do they do it in so, Australia? I don't know. Look, you have to check everything. Oh, do you do it? Okay. Every four right, years. Good. Okay. Is, uh, every... all right, good. I have no idea. I don't know what they do in Australia. I don't know what they do. All right. So, <laughs> we have what, what, so in essence, the what has, happens is that because what controls the the length of it, what controls the the seasons it controls the is the sun it's the lunar mm-hmm. it's the solar calendar that controls the seasons winter summer so on but the month uh, a month is yep. a lunar month on average is twenty nine and a half days therefore mm-hmm. multiplied by twelve you'd be three hundred and uh, three hundred fifty four days the solar calendar is three hundred and sixty five and a quarter days and therefore in the Torah, as it turns out, that it comes a very big shock to people. But the Torah doesn't tell us there's no commandment that you're only allowed to have 12 months. There is none. So what the what the Jews were able to do was they had to add in an extra month, and they had the ordination from Moses in order to do that. The Sanhedrin, the elders, they were ordained. They were given the ordination to. 
bless the new moon after witnesses would come in. They would, this is the fancy word, they would intercalate, or it was called a shnasa ibu, which means a pregnant year, in a year with an extra month. And this was able to shoot the calendar forward, ensuring that Passover always came out in the in the springtime. Now, this was fine until, the, until Christianity yep. became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And when what happened was is that although rabbis today, all the rabbis on this show, uh, we have ordination for respective rabbinical schools, but we don't have the ordination from Moses. That we we don't have why, because as it turns out, all those people who then when they when they ask are was was somebody a rabbi in the first century, they didn't mean uh, like today that you know you go to school for four years. Did you actually have the ordination of Moses? Mm-hmm. Straight chain, unbroken. And as it turned out, when Rome converted to, well, when, whatever, when Rome converted to Christianity and, and vice versa, what happened was that all the sages who had this ordination were now being wiped out. Everything, this was a game changer for the Jews in the fourth century. This is interesting. Let me just interrupt you for a second because I'm just going to jump to our next Torah portion. This is next week, but it begins saying, you shall appoint judges and officers in your gates, which the Lord Mm -hmm. your God gives you according to your tribes. They shall judge with the people with just judgment. But we don't no. have that, uh, that succession. We're, I mean, we're no longer in the gates. We're no longer, uh, uh, according to the tribes, uh, so specifically. And yes, that, that succession is no longer there. And that's what you're talking smicha, about, right? The word smicha means to laying of the hands, just as we saw that Moses laid his hands upon Joshua. Until we get to the fourth century, we had a direct, unbroken chain of sages who had these this line and as we will see in the next week's portion that you must follow them unless it's a corrupt court courts could be corrupt so then you don't go after the majority when it's a corrupt mm. court Lahatois. but otherwise you go after the majority but the people who blessed who, who, who interrogated the witnesses and who were able to bless the month they were only those who had this ordination who were the judges of Israel generation after generation now Mm-hmm. What happened was is that the the enemies of our people, Rome, the last of the four kingdoms, sought to destroy, sought to wipe out Judaism. And how would you do that? By wiping out, by killing off all these rabbis who had this ordination. That's the key point. And so, therefore, under the mm-hmm. uh, leadership of Hillel II, we had one piece of information and that is the precise length of a of a lunar month, because they knew they were going to die. They knew it was over. They knew they were going to be hunted down. Just I I know this is part of a portion, but just a piece. Christian anti anti Jewish uh, rhetoric from the church prior to the fourth century was precisely that. It was rhetoric. And when, when, when Tertullian, who was a Christian at the end of the third, uh, you know, from 197, I think he died in 212, mm-hmm. when he wrote books against the Jews, literally, those were the names of his books, it didn't mean anything, because Christianity wasn't a recognized religion. Judaism was, so go ahead, curse us all you want. It didn't affect the Jews. Well, once, the key point is that once Constantine says that, that Christianity is now an officially 
recognized religion of the Roman Empire. Now the anti-Semitism and constantly hated Jews. You should read his his letter, which I have in my book, on, on just cursing the Jews about the Jewish calendar, incidentally. Let us have nothing in common with, uh, yeah, with the detestable Jews. Something to that so effect, I'm paraphrasing. Being, what happens is, is there's a big, I, I don't want to divert too, I don't want to uh, to go too far, but there's a big war in the church that was resolved at the Council of Nicaea as well. Both are not aware of it, but it almost threatened to destroy, the, bring mm. down the whole church, the division of whether you use the 14th day of Nisan because of John, because John places, because uh, if you'll notice mm. that it's in the afternoon when the animals are slaughtered, so John has it on the 14th because he wants him to be the Lamb of God. Do we go like the synoptics, mm. the 15th? Do we do it on Sunday? It was all over the place. This is what's known in, in Christianity, exactly I think, right. it's the quarter it, decimal it controversy. It caused the controversy mm. over what is the nature of Jesus. Uh, the, because that was so, that was even bigger that most people only associate the Council of Nicaea on homoousia, on the nature of Jesus. Was he actually equal to the Father and so on? We know how that, we, we know that didn't go so well. But, uh, <laughs> but what was also heating up was the fact that Christians are going, isn't this really repulsive that we should look to the Jews? Because until then, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but until then, Polycarp mm. or, you know, Ignatius, or, you know, these early church fathers, they went yes. to the Jews and they said, when is Pesach? When is the 14th day? Well, those who celebrate on the 15th day, when is it? And then, okay, then that's going to be when yeah. then it'll be when Easter is. There's no celebration of Easter recorded anywhere in the first century, right? That's right. Polycarp and, and Polycrates, I think, his name. Back in the day when it was cool to be called Poly, which is kind of odd. But you, you also mentioned uh, uh, Marcion, and there was the dispute between, I think it was Poly, Polycarp and Marcion. Polycarp referred to Marcion as the as the child of the devil or something like that, and they they had it out there. It was you. It was huge. It was huge. Now, what was happening is the key one point. Just know this about early church history is that once Constantine converts to Christianity in three twelve, his mother subsequently will convert all the churches in Israel that have said this is where Jesus did this and that. The big stuff is all assigned by mm-hmm. by. Uh, Helena, the mother of Constantine, who was in Israel, the great revisionist. You know when she was doing this? She wasn't there knitting in the corner in the Council of Nicaea. As the Council of Nicaea was going on, she was in Israel doing precisely that, saying, okay, this is where Jesus was crucified, this is where Jesus was this, this is where this happened. She's doing it simultaneously. She's in the land of Israel, assigning these were all is, and then they would build churches in these places. That's that, in fact, happens here. Mm. But the point is, this was mm. a game changer. The moment, when, as Rome now is becoming now the anti-Jewish uh, statements made by the Church Fathers, who were of the Nicene period, or of the of those after Nicaea, mm. like uh, for instance, whether it's Jerome, whether it's Augustine, they're after Nicaea. When they went and when 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 Augustine wrote the the kind of the screed called the City of God, that that when you read that odious mm. filth about the Jews in Chrysostom, mm. the, the mm. golden tongued John. I mean, he's like the you. I, I know, mm. I know my listeners have no clue what these guys said about the Jews. But the point, when they said it, it meant it meant synagogues were going to be burnt down, rabbis were going to be killed. That's what's key. That means mm. after, after Constantine mm. becomes emperor, 
it meant if they opened their mouth about the Jews, that means synagogues are being burnt down, Jews being murdered. And, and what is germane mm-hmm. to this program is that then they knew they had to destroy the Jewish people. And how do you destroy the Jewish people? You destroy the calendar. You can't, they can't have a calendar anymore. And without a calendar, there's no mm-hmm. Judaism. Then you can't celebrate holidays and so on. Yeah, that's right. Because these three in particular are the pilgrim, the three pilgrimage feasts uh, so by which you return to they, Jerusalem, right? They knew the rabbis who had the ordination that we're going to see in the next week's portion, chapter 17, who had the ability to bless the calendar, they knew this mm. was it. They knew that they had their time was now can be counted in, in a matter of days, no longer in years. And therefore, they had to forge, they had to put together a mm-hmm. calendar that would go, because they were going to all die, there was no one for them to ordain. It had to remain perpetually until the Messiah comes. They went to the Oral Torah, it's in Tractate Rosh Hashanah 25, that's where it's recorded, where we're given the precise length of a lunar month, which is 29.53059. So it's about two and a half days, but it's actually two and a half days, and of the 13th hour, it's 796 over 1,080. It's an ext- it is the most precise calendar ever devised in history. It's Our claim is it's from God. No one else has one like this. Even the Aztecs and the Mayans, who were very good at observations for centuries and centuries, they couldn't. They they got close, and I want to make that clear. They got really close, but not like the Jews. This one doesn't drift. That we can say. <laughs> There's no seasonal drift. Do they celebrate New Year's in, in Australia? I'm joking. Oh, it's simply <laughs> they're celebrating it first. Okay, then they have to watch a bunch of drunkards in Australia. <laughs> That's right. But actually, they do. They celebrate it first in uh, in New yeah, Zealand. So they, so they, Good everyone listening in so, New Zealand. Uh, so, <laughs> but they, I, I remember very well. He said this year. Dick Havitt, I think was his name, or whatever, I forgot his name is. He got to say, this year, because they realized that, that it's off a little bit, they have to add two seconds to the year, they have to add another second, another second. The Jews never get up, excuse me, you have to add another second, another two seconds. We have satellites and things flying, <laughs> flying satellites. One shot through my studio in the middle of the program. I have satellites flying and measuring <laughs> using red light, heat light, black, black holes. Don't ask what they're measuring. I don't know what they're measuring all over there. Like measuring else. and measuring with launching from Florida and Houston yeah. rockets and schmackets and trying to figure out. And we have in rural power, it says, look, don't forget you. Because there is no record at all. None. In fact, I remember years ago lecturing, who was I? John Hopkins. So I was lecturing, and there was a professor there who actually is a. He's a professor, actually, of calendars and studying how different people measure it. And, yeah, so, you know, when you go to university, you speak, oh, yeah. you get to talk to some of the university professors. And, you know, it's nice. They're bright, bright people. This guy, his name escapes me mm. at the moment. So I, he yeah. actually is an expert on this whole field of ancient calendars and how people make it. So I asked them, you know. Oh, I love that stuff. Um, yeah. How, you know, how, how did, because the Mayans, the Incas, whatever, from Central America, they got close. How did they get so close? He said, well, I'll tell you, they, they had observations. They observed for many, many years. They have We have their copious notes that they took, and then they were able to get really close and get a thing like this. I, I said, well, you know, how good is the, the Jewish calendar? I said, the Jewish calendar is the most perfect, precise calendar in the world. I asked him, is there any record in anywhere in Jewish history that Jews made observations? Because we have it with the Mayans and Incas. They made it in the in the stone. Is there any record that Jews, in any of our literature, that Jews, 
because what do I know? You know, uh, that Jews has, he says, no, actually we don't. I said, then, then how, how did we get so close? And he said, must have been a lucky guess. <laughs> I mean, it was like 20 years ago. I said, well, maybe they were guessing. Maybe not. As it turns out, we would have had to have had that piece of information. Yeah. So it's not like people could, so Christopher Hitchens, how come they don't talk about microbiology in, in the book of Leviticus? Because it has nothing to do with how to live your life. But it does, we would need to know, we would need to know God who is, who is, uh, who is Shochinad, Isaiah 57, verse 15, he stands above and on top of eternity. He sees, uh, he, he understood that the Jewish people would need that precise number, and we have that precise number because critical, critical is that near, basically in the early fourth century, under the leadership of Hillel II, that's not Hillel the Elder, which most people know, they were able to put together a precise calendar that was exact that would be would go on as long as until the messiah comes we can follow it which is the calendar that we all do and but all these guys were oh we're going to celebrate messianic seder but we hate the rabbis well how did you know when passover is like it's based on our jewish calendar on based on totally based on rabbis it's not based on any visual site like so you know that's what's going on and these the reason i like those who are in the churches and I really care about the messianics is because they just don't know any of this. Everything I am saying is they're going, really? I didn't know that. They just, you know, <laughs> so that, that's that's the story behind the story mm. that, that Passover, our, our uh, Jewish calendar is not a lunar calendar. Yes, it's true. Genesis tells us right in the beginning, God created the moon that would be a sign for us in order to assign the dates and so on. But it can't be a lunar, pure lunar calendar like our cousins, the Muslims have. Why? Because they don't have a commandment in the Quran to make sure that Ramadan or Eid comes out. Of, and it can they be all over. No and it's fine. No it can be all over the place. It's not a problem for them. For them, they can have whenever they want to because they, they don't have a commandment. But it is this passage, my friends, in Deuteronomy. These are epic, epic, epic passages. Make sure that that, that first month comes out in the springtime. There it is. Thank you, my friend, Rabbi Tobias Singer. Boy, once again, we've discussed a whole lot of things that are in uh, greater detail in your book. So I encourage everybody to get Let's Get Biblical. Why doesn't Judaism accept the Christian Messiah volumes one and two again? You can get it on Amazon. You can get it from his website, outreachjudaism.org. And also all of his videos available on tobiasinger.tv. Thank you, my friend. Until next week, dear listeners, when hopefully we'll have both Rabbi Tobias Singer and Jason of spiritualbabies.net be blessed, be set apart by the truth of our Father's word. Shalom. Hey, dear listeners, Jono here reminding you that we are returning to Israel with Rabbi Tobias Singer, and we want you to come with us this November. Go to truthtoyou.org and click on the Tanakh Tour of Israel and join us as we walk where judges, kings, priests, and prophets made history in the Holy Land. Seats are limited, so don't delay the Tanakh Tour of Israel this November on truthtoyou.org.